Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is a snowy Tuesday morning as we in Denver, Colorado have had a torrential downpour of snow, a blizzard if you may, over the past couple of days. It is unbelievable how much snow has dropped during this time. During the Oscars, during this past Nuggets game, we got out of Pepsi Center this tonight at about 10:30 and every single car was covered in about 3 inches of snow we had just parked there 4 hours ago pretty much so it was insane had a really good time though the nuggets won the nuggets won a really tough game against a spurs team that was pretty desperate uh even though they were without demar derozan i thought that that was more to their benefit at the beginning of this game This Nuggets crowd was amazing tonight. They were wonderful, did exactly what the team needed to do to get them back into the swing of things. They kept the energy up throughout the game. And as soon as the third quarter run started to hit, the crowd started popping. It was was loud as hell in the Pepsi Center. A lot of fun to be there. A lot of fun to watch uh, Monte Morris hit a buzzer-beating three from 30 feet at the end of the third quarter. To basically the culmination of a massive comeback that brought the Nuggets within four points right at the end of the third quarter. It was great. It was a wonderful place to be. A lot of different performances. Today's podcast is basically going to be reacting to that Spurs win in the first segment. Then I'm going to talk about the evolution of Jamal Murray in the second segment. I believe that he deserves some airtime for the performances that he has been putting up over the past four games ever since returning from his ankle injury. He is laboring out there, clearly hurt, but he is he is putting on a show. It is wonderful to see. And then in the final segment, we're going to preview this Lakers game because that's what a lot of people want to hear about. The Lakers are coming to town. It's the final game before, before the All-Star break for the Nuggets, and it should be a real indicator for where the Nuggets match up. They won't have everybody on hand. Michael Porter Jr. probably won't play. I assume Will Barton will not play, and Mason Plumley, of course, will not play. But all three of those guys could be massively impactful in a Lakers series. So if the Nuggets were able to beat the Lakers without those guys, it's a pretty nice indicator for where Denver is at. But first, we're going to react to the Spurs win. This was an epic comeback. The Nuggets won this game 127 to 120. The offense was absolutely on fire today. 137.7 offensive rating in the game tonight. That's perhaps their most potent scoring performance of the year. 
and it came where they really needed it as opposed to a game where they just got hot and and clearly were beating a team that that just couldn't keep up with them. The Spurs have a lot of talent on their roster and a lot of guys specifically that give Denver troubles. DeJounte Murray was a great on-ball presence against Jamal Murray for most of this game. Derek White also spent a lot of time on Jamal. LaMarcus Aldridge did a pretty good job on Nikola Jokic in the first half, and Jakob Pertl gives Jokic a lot of trouble. Um, Jokic really struggled to get into the flow of this game whenever Jakob Pertl was out there. Those two guys, Jokic and Murray, started this game extremely slow, but they finished with 19 points, 13 rebounds, some of those questionable, and and eight or 13 assists and eight rebounds in the case of Jokic. 19, 13, and 8, and those that 8 and 13 number are switched up, basically. So Jokic dishing out 13 assists. I don't think all of them were legit, but that's beside the point. They currently count as assists in the record book, and that's what really matters. Jokic has been diming. He's been absolutely on fire in terms of finding guys, in terms of threading the passing lane. Um, hard to understate that, and especially on a day where he only took 8 shots. He needs to be that facilitator. He needs to be able to set up guys like Jamal Murray, who finished with 26 points himself. Jamal had 14 of his points in the fourth quarter on a bunch of tough shots. Just, just insanely tough looks for most players that Jamal has started to really normalize as he has continued to grow into this role as Denver's primary ball handler. He has found a home in the mid-range that I think it's it's now time to start really appreciating that as opposed to uh, denigrating what he has done. At this point, according to Cleaning the Glass, this is kind of, this doesn't include tonight's data, I don't believe, but he's in the 72nd percentile in terms of efficiency in the mid-range. That's a really good number for a guy that takes a bunch of mid-range shots. And while it's overall going to bring him down a little bit, he has been good. He has been a really, really good mid-range shooter. And now the three is starting to open up a little bit more. He didn't shoot that great tonight, but I'm going to talk about him more extensively in segment two because I think there's a lot of stuff to discuss about Murray and how he has evolved since taking that injury. But the run, the Nuggets were down 23 in the third quarter at, at about the seven-minute mark. That's when they went down. And it really started coming back when Paul Millsap came off the bench. His shooting tonight was unbelievable. It was his birthday tonight. His daughter took the opening shots that the Nuggets dish out. And they, they took the, the first bank first shot, I think it's called. And she hit it. And that seemed that probably gave Paul a lot of energy because he was very happy for her. He was standing right at right at the free throw line when she was doing it. And when he came into the game, he shot like a madman. He finished with 22 points tonight in just 19 minutes, eight of 13 from the field, four of five from three, and some of those threes were insane, especially the timing of them. They were all in rhythm. Don't get me wrong; it wasn't like he was taking some crazy off dribble shots. But they were just crazy timely. Every every single time the Nuggets needed a shot to drop, Paul Millsap was right there. And he took and made that shot. He spoke after the game about 
sometimes when the team needs a boost of energy, he can be the one to give them that boost. And he was the one who really showed all of these young guys that even at 35 years old, Paul Millsap, still a quality player in this league, still a very, very important piece to what the Nuggets do on a nightly basis. And I think it's really interesting that over this last month stretch or so, Jeremy Grant has played a lot of stretch five off the bench. Now Paul Millsap is playing some stretch five, and both of those guys are having success. Both of those guys are really succeeding in that role as a floor spacer. And it's not surprising to me that the Nuggets have been able to reel off several wins with that formula. This isn't a denigration of Mason Plumley or anything, but his skill set is just different. His skill set is rolling to the rim, making some tough passes, and being a facsimile of what Nikola Jokic does. But it's really hard to do what Nikola Jokic does without being able to shoot. And the Nuggets are finding that out, and I think that they're finding that sometimes just having a stretch five, somebody who's a capable defender like both Grant and Millsap are in different ways, sometimes that's all it takes. And it's going to be interesting to see whether Mason Plumley gets back into a full rotation allotment of minutes. Because Michael Porter Jr. needs time. Uh, Jordan McRae played really well. Torrey Craig will be back to go- coming off the bench when everybody's healthy. Currently he's in the starting lineup, but... He will be a bench player. How many guys can you really play off the bench while giving them the necessary rhythm and making sure that everybody is playing well? I don't know the answer to that, but I have an idea, and I think it probably doesn't involve Mason Plumlee playing. He might play some regular season minutes, but eventually those are going to be tapered down, and I think that the Nuggets may decide to go with three bigs, Jokic, Millsap, and Grant. Now, whether they start Millsap or Grant doesn't necessarily matter. I think both of them can be great in their specific roles. As we saw tonight, Jokic and Grant weren't great, but Millsap was able to really bring things back when he was the stretch five off the bench. So maybe that's a role that he can really thrive in. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the Nuggets need Millsap's defense and his team defense specifically while he's out there. Maybe they need him with Jokic, and just to maximize as much of Jokic's minutes as possible and then just survive the minutes without Jokic. That's very possible, too. I also like the chemistry that Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant had when they were both out there as the bench power forward and bench center. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that that evolves. But either way, Paul Millsap playing great, he gives the Nuggets a lot of options and being able to do different things. And That should be really exciting for Nuggets fans. Monte Morris is also playing some of the best basketball he has ever played. It is wonderful to see what he's been able to do, and he was one of the main catalysts for getting the Nuggets into the right place, into the right frame of mind when he was out there. He finished tonight with 16 points, 4 assists, 1 turnover, 6 of his 9 shots from the field, two of three threes, and it was a team-high plus 20 in a seven-point win. Really, really impressive. That means that the Nuggets were minus 13 when he was off the floor because they won by seven. The Nuggets need Monte Morris, and sometimes Jamal Murray is at his best when he's able to run off some screens, when he's able to 
just focus on scoring a little bit as opposed to facilitating, there are going to be moments in this playoff series where the Nuggets need to find ways to generate offense, and sometimes the best way to do that is to put Monte Morris out on there on the floor as opposed to just a traditional floor spacer. Jamal Murray can then serve as a floor spacer in those situations, but Morris has proven many times over over these past several games, this past, frankly, month and a half, that he is extremely, extremely important to what Denver does right now. P.J. Dozier has been great, but he's not as consistent. Morris has been really consistent. Uh, In his past 21 games, ever since January 1st, 2020, basically, the turn of the new year, he has had a negative plus-minus just four times. So the other 17 games, he's been positive. You would never think that a bench player in Denver's system would be positive because they spend so much of their time without Nikola Jokic on the roster or on the floor. Now, some of that is because Jamal Murray was not there, and you can you can see why with Morris playing a little bit more with Jokic, why he would be more positive. But a lot of that is on Morris himself. He's been great. He's just been extremely efficient. He's up to 39% from three, shooting a great great efficient percentage from the field overall. His mid-range jumper seems to be back. He's one of the better floater shooters on the team, and I'm, I'm more comfortable with him shooting a floater than anybody else other than maybe Jokic and Murray. So... Been very impressed with what I've seen from him. When he hit that buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter, I knew it was going in. Like as as soon as he took it, it was it was like right in front of where I usually sit, uh, down the left wing, and he pulled up with plenty of time to spare. But as soon as he released it, you knew it was going in. Uh, he just was a a capitalizing on such an important moment for this Nuggets team. Very very important that he was out there to do that. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him. Speaking of the bench more in general, uh, Jordan McRae and P.J. Dozier were the other primary bench guys. Kata Bates-Diop got some time, but he eventually didn't really play uh, in the fourth quarter, in the second half, just because the Nuggets needed to change something up, and they decided to go with a four-guard allotment with Paul Millsap at the five, and one of those lineups included Jordan McRae at the four, and P.J. Dozer at the three, Monte Morris at the one, and Jamal Murray at the two. So they were playing super small, but it was also great. They spaced the floor incredibly well, specifically McRae and Dozier. They had 14 points, six rebounds, and five assists combined, just one turnover between the two of them, shot three of five from three. Sometimes that's all you need from your fourth and your fifth option. And those guys seem like really important pieces to just have in the background, have as as guys that you can trust in various moments to be a good teammate and not screw up. Been really impressed with Dozier overall. Uh, I'm biased, of course. I will continue to say that. But he's been great. I, I don't think anybody could really argue with that in his minutes off the bench. But Jordan McRae, I was really positive on when when that trade happened and having some time to reflect on that. He is a great player to fill in the role that Malik Beasley was going to play, which is not a lot, but when he's called upon, he can hit shots, and that's exactly what McRae did. 
He hit two of his, uh, what was it? Let's, let's look at the box score real quick. He hit two of his four threes, had eight points, three assists, five rebounds, was just a very productive player, was a plus 16, really benefited from being out there with Monte Morris and Paul Millsap. But still, he was he was wonderful when he was out there. I was really impressed with just his ability to fit in. And that's that's all you need right now. So, speaking of fitting in, Torrey Craig and Gary Harris, uh, give them credit. They haven't had the best years overall, but Torrey Craig quietly has shot 37% from three since the new year. He's firmly establishing his hold on a rotation spot. Uh He's an invaluable piece to this Nuggets team right now and, and just extremely versatile for who you put him on when he's when he's playing defense. But the really important piece of that is if, if he can hit those threes at a 37% clip, he's a good player. He's a really valuable player. And he's a good playoff player as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do, even if it is in a, in a reduced role. Uh, but Gary Harris specifically... He, in particular, needed that. Those two started the game by hitting threes apiece, like two, one, one three apiece, and then they finished the game by hitting a three apiece. Gary Harris, in particular, he got a kick out from Jeremy Grant, who was in the corner. Uh, Grant passed it up to Harris on the wing, and instead of hesitating, Gary Harris fired that shot up and hit it, shot it with confidence, shot two of three tonight from three. That's all you can really ask from him. And there, there are certain shots that you don't want him to take, but you have, have to have him take that shot in that scenario. He has to have the confidence to be able to do it. And he was able to do it. Uh, both of those guys, the defense that they provide, as long as they can shoot, as long as they don't miss every shot that's kicked out to them in crunch time, the defense is extremely impactful. I shared a graphic today about Torrey Craig's defensive stats during uh, during his matchup with elite guards this year. He's been wonderful, just elite in terms of defending those elite players. Gary Harris is very similar. Not quite as good, but, but very, very good. And, and a little bit more versatile, I would say, with being able to guard one through three as opposed to more guards. That That's what Torrey Craig does. So either way, this was a great win. It wasn't supposed to be this difficult, but the Nuggets have found a way to make games like this more difficult than they have to be. The difference was was they actually won this one, and that's in the end. That's really all that matters is the W on the on the scoreboard. So, all right, that's going to do it for this segment. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to delve more deeply into Jamal Murray. I think his past four games have been incredible, and there are some interesting reasons why. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
Numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you for tuning in on this snowy Tuesday. Really appreciate it. Our downloads have been off the charts over this last week, and, and I just can't thank you guys enough. Those are, are really reflective of, of it's, it's hard in this business to uh, fully understand and fully appreciate the value that, that you give to other people by just through clicks and downloads, but I've had multiple people come up to me and say that they really appreciate the podcast and have been listening, and that's just been, it's meant the world, honestly, because as somebody who's new to managing the site, uh, I'm still very new to this. I'm still very new to the game. I'm 23 years old. So it's been wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for all of your comments and uh, appreciative posts. And just, I, I love seeing that. I love, it's that's what it's all about. I just want to give back to the fans. Denver Stiffs really gave back to me when I needed a great outlet for a fan blog. And so being able to give back to new fans is the best. So reach out to me if you're ever interested in talking about it. I am more than happy and my DMs are always open. Jamal Murray has been wonderful. Uh, it's kind of come out of left field just because the way that he finished up his previous stints when he was just going on the injury report, he was not looking good. He was not looking spry. He's still not looking super like healthy out there. Don't get me wrong. He's been limping around pretty much every game, and that's tough to see. That's tough. Like If you're a 23-year-old guard, who the Nuggets just signed to a five-year deal. That's really, <coughs> it's, it's really discouraging, I would say. Uh, it's just kind of is what it is with Jamal. He's going to continue to fight through injuries, but that's his mentality. And he talked about that today. He talked about that in the locker room, that he was considering not going back out there and playing just because he was hurting as much as he was at halftime. But he went back out there, and boy, did he perform. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, 26 points on 21 shots. That's the culmination of a four-game stretch, one of only three four-game stretches in his career where he has put up 20 points in every game. His first game back, 20 points on nine shots against Portland, really dominated the Blazers. Uh, efficient shooting, efficient shot selection, had a lot of open looks that he converted, just did a lot of great stuff in that game. Uh, next one was the extreme conditions game in Utah. He took he took 26 shots to get 31 points, but each one of those was necessary. Denver didn't have a lot of creators in that game, and it was really important that Denver at least have some semblance of offense. And he and Jokic really put the team on their backs in that game. Jokic had 30 points. He had 31. I believe the team had 98 as a whole, so they had 61 of the team's 98 points. Big deal. Like that's a that's a that's a big time gutty performance from Jamal Murray. Then the next game on Saturday, he went at Phoenix and dropped 36 points on 17 shots, and it was just a wonder to behold. I'm gonna get into that. Right now, actually, I want to talk about the ways that he scored in that game because he has this massive toolbox of moves that help him create his own shot that are, are really important to break out when he has to pick and choose, but he has to pick and choose when to break out that toolbox, when he has to go to those looks. Against Phoenix, 
He barely had to do that. Honestly, here's how it broke down. He had 14 total made shots. Three of those were transition layups and dunks. One of them was a standard dribble handoff with Nikola Jokic. One of them was a pick and roll three with Nikola Jokic. Nothing special, just kind of step back and and step back to his left and, and hit a nice clean look from three. Another one was a pick and roll in transition. Uh, kind of like a, a mini transition pick and roll with Jokic that ended up in a three. It was a really nice creative move, uh, kind of a, an in, be, in, the, in between the legs behind the back move that helped free him up from three. And he was feeling it uh, at that point and it looked great. Then he had his other eight shots were two isolation threes on switches. He had three dribble drives in the pick and roll for layups and he had two threes off of screens. Not a lot of stuff in the in the bag, let's say. He didn't really have to go to a lot of his extra stuff, where he's, he's putting the ball between the legs, leaning and falling away from the mid-range, just taking all these tough shots. Most of the shots that he took in that Phoenix game were easy, were Uh, Shots that he takes in practice and in shoot-arounds all the time. Just coming off of a screen, uh, driving to the hoop for a layup, uh, isolation threes on switches. That was probably the most complex thing that he actually did outside of the the mini pull-up three in transition that, that looked really good. But his toolbox is ever growing and and that's a really important thing for the playoffs. It's one of the reasons why he excelled in a playoff series. But in the regular season, the way to be efficient is to make things as easy for yourself as possible. And I thought the Phoenix game was a really great example of of making making things easy by doing some of the work off ball, by letting other people do the work for you, and just when the situation presents itself, just take what the defense gives you. And that's exactly what he did. He never felt like he forced the issue. The only times where he actually really forced up a shot were the the late shot clock isolations, and those were against switches, and you want Jamal to be able to take those. Those were really important. They were really impressive. Um, I was just really, I was floored by what I saw from him in that game. And he's been doing that a lot lately over this stretch, where it's not always him that's creating the shot. Sometimes it's other people that are creating it for him. He does a great job with the the pick and roll when he's the roll man, when he's the guy setting the screen. Jokic creates that look for him a lot of the time, but it's Murray who's doing the work off ball. He's a great screening guard, not good, great. And using that on a consistent basis will help free him up for easy looks and it means that he doesn't have to go into that toolbox and reach deep there and pull out some of those incredible, amazing shots that he made tonight. He made some incredible shots against the Spurs tonight, but it felt like all of them he had to work so hard to get. There are going to be times where he has to do that. There are going to be times where he has to put the team on his back and get a shot no matter what, and he has the capability to do that. But balancing it out with performances like he had against Phoenix, with a performance like against Portland, where other players help him score, that's the most important thing for boosting his efficiency and turning him into a star. 
there's a reason why he hasn't had consistent performances like this in the past. There's a reason why this is only the third time in his career that he's put up 20-plus points in four straight games. He goes through slumps. Sometimes those moves that are in his toolbox, sometimes those shots just don't drop. Sometimes the opposing guard is really good at sniffing those moves out, and sometimes they crowd his airspace a little bit and he doesn't get enough room to generate a great shot. Consistency has always been his biggest bugaboo. And I've just been really impressed with how he has come back ever since coming off the bench from, from that injury. Because when he does what he did over these last four games, he's a top five point guard in the league. And I don't think that that's stretching it very far. You've got Curry who's injured right now. Who else is actually better than what Jamal Murray has done over the past few games? Russell Westbrook, maybe. Uh, It just kind of depends on what you prefer. Damian Lillard, certainly. He's been awesome. Kyrie Irving, sometimes. Uh, Kemba Walker, sometimes. What Murray did and the efficiency with which he did it completely changes the game, completely changes the calculus for this Nuggets team. And the shot distribution, I think, is the most interesting piece of that because if he can create easy shots for himself, layups, open threes, something that at least he doesn't have to pound the ball or or continue to play that two-man dance with Jokic. We know that that works, and we know that that's a good, solid thing that Denver can go to in a playoff series and feel good about, that when teams sniff out their initial offensive possessions, they can always return to that, to that return to what works, because we know that that works. But there are things that actually create better looks that Jamal can take advantage of that will turn him into an all-star, 100%. But sometimes he has to do the work off ball in order to do that. It can't just be pounding the ball into submission off the dribble or passing it to Jokic and immediately getting it back. Jokic had 13 assists tonight, a lot of them to Murray, it's not going to happen like that every game. Uh, and sometimes those shots for Murray that were extremely tough tonight, they're, sometimes they're just not going to drop. So he has to be able to pivot in different ways. Let me break down his scoring play types for you, just so you can get a really good idea of what we're working with here and how good he's been over this season. In the pick and roll as a ball handler, that's been over 30% of his offense, so about Every three out of ten scoring possessions are Murray in the pick and roll. He's in the 70th percentile, 7-0. Notable players that he's above in efficiency are CJ McCollum, LeBron James, Devontae Graham, Brandon Ingram. Those guys are good. Those guys are very, very solid. In handoff situations, he's in the 50th percentile. Those make up 16% of his offense. So nearly half of his offense involves him basically playing that pick-and-roll dance with Jokic, whether he's coming off the pick-and-roll and and shooting himself or he's getting the handoff from Jokic and then creating some shots. 47% of his offense. That's a lot. That's a, that's a, for, for somebody as versatile as Murray, for somebody who is as good of a shooter and off-ball creator as Murray is, that's a lot of on-ball creation. 
Um, I'd like to see that come down just a little bit or at least balance out between some of the other off-ball stuff. Like, for example, spot-ups. He doesn't shoot a ton of them, even though he's very good at it. Coming off of screens, that's just 5% of his overall offensive scoring profile, but he's in the 89th percentile. That's elite. That's like J.J. Redick and Kyle Korver level good. That's wonderful. You'd love to see him be able to do that, and he did that a lot in college. I wonder if he's able to do that in the future with with Denver when they have just a couple more ball handlers on the floor, whether it's Will Barton coming back or Michael Porter Jr., if his, his ability to hit guys on the fly when he's 6'10", if it's Jokic who's quarterbacking the, def- or the offense. I wonder if they'd be able to do that and get Murray some open shots off of screens because that could be a great way if Murray has a great on-ball defender on him to then give that defender some trouble. I'm thinking of Patrick Beverly specifically because a Los Angeles Clippers series could be really difficult for Denver if they're just going to the Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll every time because Patrick Beverly's a good defender and he will bully Jamal Murray until he pick, until he picks up six fouls. That's just how Patrick Beverly is. So you don't want to play to his strengths. You don't want to play to the strengths of the defense, which is why Jamal Murray being so versatile, being able to screen for Jokic, being able to play in isolation, being able to come off of screens and then handle in the pick and roll, being able to do all of those things is so important for him. It's a, it's a compliment and a testament to the kind of player that Jamal Murray can be. But he has to be able to do those things and be willing to do those things and not just pound the ball because that makes him less impactful. He has done so many great things by just letting the offense come to him sometimes. Uh, he's been wonderful. So... Credit where credit is due, Jamal Murray has really shown exactly what he can be over these last four games. I am interested to seeing how he plays in this Los Angeles Lakers game coming up. When we come back, we will preview that game. I'm interested in a lot of the matchups that are taking place because the Nuggets aren't at full strength. How will they deal with Anthony Davis? We'll be right back. Big, big game coming up. The Lakers at 40-12. and 12. They've won 40 of their first 52 games. That's a lot. The Nuggets have won 38 of their first 54. That's a lot, too. They're 38-16, and 16, just three games back of the Lakers. Four games back of the loss column. That's important to note. Uh, the Lakers are still... They have a sizable lead. I will say. So this game matters. The Nuggets have played the Lakers twice. They've split the series one-to-one. Getting this game is really, really important if the Nuggets have their eyes on the one seed, and I think that they should. If Denver can get the one seed and the Lakers and Clippers are stuck at the seeds two and three, 
not only does that put Denver in a really good position where they play the eight seed as opposed to the seven or six seed, which both of which would be really tough games, Denver would have then have to play Memphis or Portland or um, San Antonio or any team that comes out on top there, New Orleans for set, for example. Some of those games could be tough. I still think that Denver is a better team than all of those than all of those teams, and they should win. However, if they could get the Lakers and the Clippers to face off against each other in the second round, then that means that if Denver were to advance past the first round, they would play the winner of the 4-5 matchup. That's likely the Houston Rockets, the Utah Jazz, the Dallas Mavericks. One of those three teams I would expect to be in that matchup. I would expect the Lakers and the Clippers to be in the two and three seeds. I think that they are clearly the, like this trio, the Nuggets, the Lakers, and the Clippers are clearly the best three teams and will finish with the three best records in some order. The question is which. If Denver can put those guys in the second round facing each other, their path to the Western Conference Finals is a lot more clear have to beat James Harden, have to beat Luka Doncic, have to beat uh, Donovan Mitchell. But Denver can do all of those things, and I think that they've shown over the course of the past few weeks that they can defeat anybody, even the Lakers or the Clippers. But this particular game gives gives them an opportunity to put themselves in really good position going forward, going into the All-Star break. It would also be a really feel-good win at home against a team that Denver will be compared to during this stretch run. The Lakers just blew out the Suns in Los Angeles, kind of like what Denver did to the Suns, but just a little bit stronger. Dwight Howard had 15 rebounds and 25 minutes off the bench, and with DeAndre Ayton sitting, the Lakers won the rebounding battle 59-29. to By 30, they doubled up the Suns' rebounding totals. The Lakers are huge. They are massive human beings. They play multiple bigs at the same time. LeBron James is a supersized small forward. Anthony Davis plays about 36 minutes a night a lot of the time, and only about 12 of those to 10 to 12 of those come as the center. The rest of the time, he's playing next to... JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard or one one of those two guys. And it just it's it's a sight to behold, honestly. Because it's just it just looks like Twin Towers lineups with Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson back in the back in the eighties with the Rockets. So we'll see how it goes. But how the Nuggets start this game is going to be really fascinating. I doubt that Millsap will be off of his minutes restriction, so I assume Torrey Craig and Jeremy Grant will continue to start at small forward and power forward. That means that they'll be covering LeBron and Anthony Davis, respectively. Torrey Craig on LeBron, Jeremy Grant on Anthony Davis. That leaves Nikola Jokic to guard JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard when he comes in. Sometimes Anthony Davis will slide to the five but that's going to be and that's going to be late game situations i think but i think the point of this discussion is that the nuggets are going to be giving up a lot of size 
whether that's to the Lakers starting lineup or to Dwight Howard off the bench. Dwight Howard is bigger than Paul Millsap. He is stronger. And Paul Millsap is strong as an ox. Like Both of those guys are big, but Dwight Howard is supersized. So Jeremy Grant doesn't have the same physicality as Anthony Davis. Nikola Jokic has the same physicality as a guy like JaVale McGee, but JaVale McGee can jump the hell out of the gym. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the size and the interior scoring of the Lakers. It's very possible that the Lakers could score like 60 points in the paint, 70 points in the paint. I don't think that would throw off anybody, except for maybe Michael Malone. He would be very pissed. But the easiest way for the Nuggets to win that game when the Lakers have that kind of size advantage, when they have a little bit of an athleticism advantage overall, is to hit perimeter shots, with Jokic specifically hitting a bunch of perimeter shots. Him doing that draws the defense away from the rim, and the Lakers aren't as built to handle backdoor cuts, to handle dribble handoffs if the center has to play up, uh, pick and rolls, like, how are the how are teams going to defend the pick and pop if Jokic is hitting a high clip from three? Jokic probably is going to have to hit at least four threes in this game for the Nuggets to win. That would be my guess. Maybe maybe less. Maybe it's Jeremy Grant that's hitting threes because if Anthony Davis is guarding Jeremy Grant consistently, then he's going to have to be big. Jeremy Grant is going to have to take and make a bunch of threes, maybe six. Not make, but not make six, but he'll at least have to take six. And he's good enough to make them. He's good enough to hit three of six shots. And that would be a big game changer if he did. But everybody wants to know how you stop LeBron James. And the the thing is, you can't really stop him, especially with the personnel that Denver has, unless they go Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic, which they might. It wouldn't surprise me if they closed the game with that lineup if Torrey Craig was just getting abused. But you can't stop LeBron, you can only hope to get him to turn the ball over. In his last three games against Phoenix last night, eight turnovers. Previous game against Golden State, seven turnovers. Game before that against Houston, six turnovers. He's averaging seven turnovers per game over the last three. If the Nuggets can get that kind of turnover margin on him and then capitalize on those looks... They're going to be in business. That's the only way that they can really make up the difference of a LeBron James-led team. Because LeBron is dominant. He's going to score 25 points. He's going to dish out 10 assists. Probably going to do more of each or more of one or the other. So you have to find a way to make up possessions. And turnovers are probably the best way to do that. When he's off the floor, that's when Denver really has to capitalize. Because they have to, they just have to make up those shots. The offense for the Lakers kind of goes away when LeBron sits. It's interesting to see. Uh, you would think that Anthony Davis would be able to kind of carry that load. And Rajon Rondo over the past, over the last game, had a great game. Was one of the highest plus-minus guys on the team as the backup point guard. So it's not impossible for the Lakers to play well when LeBron is off the floor. But what Denver really needs is for Monte Morris and 
uh, Paul Millsap and Jordan McRae to just really get hot from three, make some of those shots from the outside, generate some good looks. If, if Paul Millsap is playing the bench five, then he has to pull Dwight Howard away from the rim on both sides of the ball. Got to box him out on the defensive side. Can't give up the rebounding battle as starkly as Phoenix gave it up. You're probably not going to win the rebounding battle, and you have to be okay with that, but there are other ways to make it up. Don't foul. Don't give up a bunch of free throws to LeBron and Anthony Davis. That's the easiest way for them to get free points. Get them to turn the ball over. If you can get LeBron to turn the ball over seven times, you're at least giving yourself a chance when he's on the floor. If you get Anthony Davis to turn the ball over four times when he's trying to drive in the post or go off the dribble from the three-point line, that's the best way to make up the time that he's on the floor. Those guys are going to score. They're going to they're very talented. They're very large. They're going to find ways to score over the Nuggets, but the best way to figure that out and the best way to deal with it is to play stellar defense and stellar positional defense and turn them over if that's the case. That way they may be able to squeeze out a win. Do I think Denver will win this game? Honestly, I think it's 50-50. I think I would lean the Lakers just because the Nuggets are shorthanded and I don't know how this game would look like when everybody's full strength. But if Millsap can hit a bunch of threes again, it's going to be a close game. Jokic could obviously take this game over. And if he's hitting a bunch of shots, if he's hitting jumpers in the post, if he's hitting uh, pick-and-pop threes, if he's taking Anthony Davis to the rack or JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, then he has the capability to take over a game. Jamal Murray has the capability to take over the game. He'll be defended by a combination of Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, guys like that. Some of those matchups are better than others, but it's not impossible for him to get good shots, especially if he's off ball. Like, I actually think that he would be really good running off of screens against this team because the Lakers want to protect the rim. They aren't great at protecting the three-point line. The Rockets proved that to them a few week, a few games ago. I think there's a way for the Nuggets to take down the Lakers, and it's shooting well. If you shoot the ball well, you give yourself a chance. Take those threes, make as many as you can, and just see where the math plays out. Because the Lakers are going to dominate the paint with the physicality that they have. If you dominate the three-point line and the free-throw line, you give yourself a chance. All right, that's going to do it for me on this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Again, thank you so much for tuning into the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of great clicks over the past week on this on this podcast, on other podcasts specifically. On Wednesday night, we are going to do a Denver Stiff show after the game. I will post that, and that'll be up early Thursday morning. Should be a lot of fun. Should be good content. And we'll be doing a retrospective kind of of Denver's pre-All-Star break season and where they're at. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.